It really has been a remarkable day in so many ways, hasn't it? The first day of the week, the privilege, and what a high would it has been for each of us to assemble and to gather the way that we are. As we assemble and do so in ways as we have done today, this second opportunity is, again, such a rich opportunity that is ours. Perhaps you've noticed, and I think Brother Gary mentioned it this morning, and maybe let me encourage each of us to keep our personal evangelism seminar in our prayers. Uh, Brother Rob is certainly making his preparations. Uh, as Brother Gary mentioned, five lessons in total, and he has delivered this, this particular seminar in a number of places across the country. And it is his estimation that these five particular ones, in the order he will deliver them, is very effective. So two of them on Friday evening, November the 3rd here, and then three more of them Saturday morning beginning at 9 a.m., and we'll look forward to, to perhaps a few more details about that as the time approaches. But may we certainly keep that endeavor in our prayers that we as a congregation can be benefited and blessed, perhaps better equipped and capable to use the abilities that are ours to send the message of the gospel to those who are around us. Tonight, the woman with an issue of blood. That'll be our subject. We're going to give some consideration to that New Testament lady. In fact, a moment ago, Brother Matthew read from the book of Matthew. May I be quick to suggest, though, Mark also has a fair number of details about that, and we might well be turning to that one as well. So not only in Matthew chapter 8, but certainly keep in mind also that text in, I'm sorry, Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 to 22, but Mark chapter 5 will be the other place we'll be turning in just a moment. So if you'd like to go ahead and mark that other one, perhaps use the string in your Bible or some other placement holder, that might be a useful thing. Mark the fifth chapter. These opening comments will be those that will motivate us and precede us along our way for the study of the afternoon. Happy is the people whose God is the Lord. That very statement is found in Psalm 144 verse 15. And as that happiness was at least described and presented, it was proclaimed rather resoundingly. And aren't you and I still those who feel that way? The happiness that's ours and yea the joy that fills our hearts in recognizing the one whom we serve. Surely, as we come to the middle, middle of that slide, we are given tonight a woman who can be very motivating to us. Have you known someone in your life who is particularly motivating? Maybe by the way that person conducts him or herself, the things through which they emerge, the particular battles they face in life and seemingly do so with such graciousness. And quite often with a tremendous attitude of perseverance. Maybe you and I have been motivated by someone like that. May I at least say that it would appear that the woman of whom we will speak tonight would occupy a role not unlike that. And so we'll first see if we can place the historical setting, and following that, look at a few lessons that certainly can be drawn from it for us as well. But at the bottom, may I say, one of the things we shall discover is courage. We each can be blessed and benefited by thinking of courage and being an individual, a person of courage. And so without further delay, why don't we come to place the setting of where this person is in the New Testament record and following that, as I mentioned before, some applications of what we notice in her life. First of all, it all begins, as you'll notice at the top. Our Savior's primary mission on this earth was not to heal the physically sick. 
Had that been his mission, he could have done that virtually day and night for all the time he was here. But he didn't do it that way. Now, he did provide some healing, those that were blind, those that were lame, but that wasn't the principal emphasis of his coming. For after all, isn't it true that once you heal those individuals, the next generation, there's still going to be those who are sick. But yet if he could provide the means of healing the sin-sick souls of men, that would always be available. And thus he came to preach. Didn't he say on more than one occasion that although there were many desirous of him staying in a location so that they could be availed of his miracles, he said, I must needs go to other places. Because the gospel, they needed it as well. You'll find that in Matthew chapter 4. To that might we add this, the purpose of the miracles was to authenticate, to confirm the nature of those who were proclaiming that word. And therefore, when Jesus or the other apostles, those apostles, when they made those particular miracles, it added an element of confirmation to that which they spoke. It gave the manifestation that they, in fact, were from heaven. Maybe it is in that light you and I can note the details that we find concerning the raising of Jairus' daughter. Now, one of the three individuals of whom we have record in the New Testament that Jesus raised this person back to life was the little daughter of Jairus. There was a man. His name was Jairus. He came to Jesus. He did so beseeching him that he might come and do some great work of healing for his little daughter. For he said, she is at the point of death. Can you simply imagine the emotional state in which that man must have found himself? No doubt he had availed himself of other means, but his daughter was still sick. And yet he came to Jesus and he besought him and did so, it appears, with urgency. You may notice as you come near the bottom of that slide, Jesus heard with intrigue the record of the man and he proceeded to go to where Jairus' daughter was. But as you can see at the bottom, there was something interesting that happened on the way. Folks were thronging around Jesus. You can imagine the large number of multitude who already had witnessed His other miracles. They had heard about what this man can do. They were mesmerized by the thought that He might can in fact heal a sick relative of His. And yet in the midst of all of that, here Jesus had heard with care the request of Jairus. And as He began to walk to Jairus' house, people thronging Him, bustling against Him, rubbing but there was a particular woman. The record is, occurs on the next slide. Along the way, there was a lady, a woman. She had been sick 12 years. She had had an issue of blood that long. She came and she touched the hem of the Lord's garment. You'll notice some of the details. The gospel records provide us with this interesting information. I'd like to ask you to notice carefully the way Mark reads it. In Mark chapter 5, it says, beginning in verse 24, And Jesus went with him, that him was Jairus, and much people followed him and thronged him. And a certain woman, which had an issue of blood twelve years, and had suffered many things of many physicians, 
and had spent all that she had and was nothing bettered, but rather grew worse. Almost instantly, we have a dramatic picture presented to us from the inspired writer. You'll quickly observe, it says she had suffered many things of many physicians. How many procedures had she undergone? What kind of medicines had they prescribed? What kind of particulars had they demanded of her? And it would appear that she had acquiesced in many ways. And furthermore, how much money had she paid? The text says she'd spent all she had. She was left, it would seem, with nearly nothing. Of course, what makes it so tragic is this. It says she was nothing bettered. All the procedures had done no good. All the money that had been spent, at least in terms of improvement in health, had made no difference whatsoever. In fact, it says she had only grown worse. Surely any of us could imagine the frustration that could well have been a part of her presentation. We could imagine the challenge and the hopelessness that might well have been hers. Notice on the slide, this saga only deepens, though, when you notice. Jesus sensed that power went out of him. She succeeded in touching the hem of his garment. And you'll notice that the Lord sensed that power had gone out of him, and then he turned around and said, Who touched me? The apostles were beside themselves. We're in the midst of this throng of people and they're rubbing against you and they're thronging about you as you're moving your way toward Jairus' house and you ask who touched you? Likely hundreds of people were touching him over any small amount of time. But yet the Lord knew something was different about her. Something was very distinct, something very distinguishing. You'll notice it says, verse 27, when she had heard of Jesus, came in the press behind and touched His garment. For she said, If I may but touch His clothes, I shall be whole. And straightway the fountain of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of that plague. And Jesus, immediately knowing in Himself that virtue had gone out of Him, turned Him about in the press and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said unto him, Thou seest the multitude thronging thee, and sayest thou who touched me? And he looked round about to see her that had done this thing. But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what was done in her, came and fell down before him, and told him all the truth. And he said unto her, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace, and be whole of thy plague. We'll pause at that point to simply observe this. After the realization that the power had gone out of him and his immediate question of who touched me, you notice the lady replied and she responded, but it says she did so in fear and trembling. Think about the crowd that must have been present, perhaps numbering in the dozens if not hundreds. And not only that, the Lord was on a mission. The little daughter of Jairus was near the point of death. Was she holding him up at this time, preventing him from arriving at the destination before she died? And yet all of that is set aside when in fact the Lord turns and looks, asks who touched me, and then He made this statement. Again, note the language of verse 34. He called her daughter. 
Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. Go in peace and be whole of thy plague. As you and I close that particular slide, may we in fact continue it like this. The malady, the ailment that is here provided for us in description is this. She is said to have had an issue of blood. The actual Greek word suggests the following. It was a hemorrhage. It was a flowing of blood. Almost immediately our mind races back to the book of Leviticus because in chapter 15, verses 25 and following, we are reminded with clearer, clearness of the following. By the fact that Jesus called her daughter, it would appear she was a Jewish lady. And if that be true, she was of course subject to the law of Moses. And as she did that, what about those laws regulating uncleanness? Notice in Leviticus 15, a flow of blood would have made her unclean. And if this was a hemorrhage, it may well have been a nearly constant thing. We may well here be reading about a woman who was ceremonially unclean for 12 years. Consider that with me. Ceremonially unclean for 12 constant years at least. That being said, consider the way in which often society may have looked upon her, insulting her, belittling her, demeaning her, considering her never as an opportunity to enjoy what would be the blessings of cleanness in a ceremonial way. And yet in the midst of all of that, she touches the hem of our Master. Jesus had time for her. And not only that, might we notice several lessons that also it seems immediately follow. I realize in these lessons I've asked you to consider, I haven't by any means been exhausted, but here are just some of them. First, what about this one? You'll notice that she again had suffered many things of many physicians. Over all those years, how many physicians, the text doesn't say. How much had she spent? We aren't told the dollar amount, but it was all she had. And furthermore, we're told that sadly and tragically and catastrophically, she hadn't been made any better. Are there times when you and I can also appreciate attempts and attacks and motivations, and although we expend great energy and effort, and oftentimes great personal inconvenience and sacrifice, and yet the matter doesn't improve? Perhaps the circumstances only worsen. This lady can identify with that. Look at some of these observations. In Mark 5 verse 28, it seems as though there's an emphasis stated in place like this. If I may touch but His clothes. She had tried physicians, perhaps many of them, perhaps even traveling to various places when she heard about the possibility of healing somewhere else. Be that as it may, all of them had failed. But point number one is this. Just because she hadn't met with success did not mean she had stopped trying. She still was interested. She had heard the Master was in the community. The one who had in fact produced marvelous things elsewhere, she apparently too had heard of it. Both Matthew and Mark make that observation. And she made her way through this crowd. Now you and I know that the throng around Jesus, perhaps there was an envelope, a wall of those disciples and those close associates such as the apostles, but she got close enough to touch His clothes. 
That may not have been easy, but she did it. She hadn't given up. Hopelessness had not overwhelmed her to the point that she simply refused to even try. The top of this next slide will continue that discussion and do so by inviting you and I to note the admonition given to all of us in the Word of God. The avenues of life may often be littered with difficulties, challenges, and lack of success from the human standpoint. Again, we're each fairly well aware of that, no doubt, either in our lives or in those whom we perhaps closely know. But as those who would please God, we must not give up. We cannot give up because we, in fact, follow the one who was the chief of optimists. Was it Jesus, a grand optimist? He was not a pessimistic man. And you and I are also admonished not to be pessimistic. Isn't it true that we, in fact, realize that the one who holds this earth and all things in is the great God of heaven who truly is the one who is awesome? And we just sang about Him earlier tonight. In Proverbs chapter 13, verse number 12, isn't it true that hope deferred can cause one to be sick? We must not allow ourselves to become hopeless, to become one who trusts in ourselves above the great God whom we're supposed to serve. What if we add to that this text in Romans 8, 24? What are we saved by? The inspired writer said we are saved by hope. Isn't it true that there are many avenues in Reality stated in the New Testament. We're saved by grace. We're saved by faith. We're saved as we appreciate baptism. And all of those are true. But along that line, we might also add, Paul said we're saved by hope. May you and I then always be hopeful, optimistic as we trust in the Lord. Aren't we told in Proverbs 3, beginning in verse 3, Surely the sweetness of that passage rings in our heart as we hear yet again the inspired writer Solomon say, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thy own understanding. Acknowledge Him and He shall direct thee in all thy ways. What a beautiful passage. That degree of acknowledgement closes this in Romans 8 verses 35 and following. Would you listen to the triumphant hopefulness with which Christians are able to live day by day. We know that the matters in this world can often appear so depressing and, and can often appear so challenging. But you and I trust, and we do so because God rules in the kingdoms of men. Daniel 4.25 That text in Romans 8, didn't Paul say it like this? The sweetness of the question and the grandeur of the answer. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Who can separate us from the love of God through Christ? Nobody but me. I can choose to live foolishly and faithlessly, and I can choose to separate myself by abandoning the faith. 
but no other power on this earth is strong enough to do it. Not principalities, not death, not angels, not any of those things that Paul listed. To that, why don't we add another point? First of all, this lady didn't give up. What about point number two? She did take action. Isn't that impressive? Here was one who for 12 years had endured the difficulties of physicians who maybe had thought they were helping her, but they didn't. All that she got out of it was poverty. She spent all she had. You and I perhaps have many additional questions. How then was she providing for herself? Was she married? We don't know. The text doesn't say. But this much we know, she took liberty upon herself. In that hopefulness of which we just spake, she took action. Let's develop that point like this. The text says she came. Maybe society looked upon her with a frown. Maybe they laughed at her as she walked down the street. She'd been unclean 12 years. Furthermore, perhaps, others would avoid her. Maybe they would have nothing to do with her. The fact remains, she came and she touched his garment. You might notice in life, isn't it true? If you and I continue to do the same things in the same way we always have, we ought not be too surprised if the results are always the same. If we want things to change, we need to change. To do things differently, take it a different perspective and a different approach. This woman, what a marvelous example of a person who took action to bring about the change that she desired. Sometimes that lesson is not only meaningful of the personal attributes of life, but in a congregational sense, in a community sense, in a national sense. No wonder I might invite you to note this. There can be habits in life. Sometimes you and I are desirous of those things changing. It goes without saying, if we don't make an effort to change something, the habit's never going to change. It's always going to be the same. Perhaps our temper, some avenue, some consumption of things in life, if we want that to change, it's time to act, or, to act in faith, to take that step, even if it demands inconvenience, and to bring about that necessary change. Isn't the Bible full of examples like that? What about Jehoshaphat in the second kings of the Old Testament? Athaliah is surely one of the most wicked women who ever has lived. One could argue she was even more wicked than Jezebel. As you and I consider that, notice what she did. She killed by cold-blooded murder the entire seed royal as far as she knew. One little baby was left. One little baby to carry on the bloodline. She thought she'd killed them all, but Jehoshaphat, the nurse who preserved that little baby for over six years in the temple, that's where the little baby lived. Kind of interesting, Athaliah never find her in the temple, find him in the temple. But maybe it goes without saying, consider the fact that Jehoshaphat made a difference. And she did so because she took action to preserve the little baby. Ultimately, he would become king. He'd carry on the bloodline of David and be the one through whom Jesus the Christ would one day be born. Maybe Jehoshaphat never imagined that those efforts on her part would bring about that much worldwide good, but it did. Think about changes perhaps in another way. 
in Proverbs 25, verse number 28, all of us are admonished to realize the opportunity that's ours to make those changes when that's the matter in order. It can be easy to drift through life and to just float along with what surrounds us. God would ask you and I to employ our skills and capabilities and do so with that optimistic and positive attribute to bring about the good that He would have us to see. In Matthew 25, in that picture of the day of judgment, six things are listed. When did you feed the hungry? When did you go to prison? When did you take care of those thirsty? When did you visit the sick? Those four out of the six highlighted in us, notice the Lord was concerned about, what did they do? And when they said, when did we ever see thee like this? The Master's reply is timeless. Inasmuch as you did it unto the one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it unto me. And so it equips all of us with an optimistic viewpoint, understanding what a lovely example we had in this woman. Let's add to that another list. Where did she go for help? She had sought help from the physicians, but that had availed nothing. Perhaps she had in fact availed herself of other ideas, but the fact is she now came to Jesus. She came to the greatest of all ones capable of providing help. Why don't you and I develop that like this? Isn't it so commendable? Aren't we told in Psalm 146, verse number 3, in man there is no help. In the ultimate and final status, in the final and recognized matter, men are not going to provide the help we need to get to heaven. Here, men had been of no help to this woman. Though they had been notable physicians, I suppose, maybe they had had fine doctoral degrees from that day and time. We might say some physicians in that day were very commendable. Luke was a physician. And what a masterpiece he has given us in the book of Luke that he wrote. But now might we say this. When you and I think about the great place of desirous of finding help, she came to Jesus. Maybe others had told her, you're unclean. You don't have any business even being around him, much less touching his clothes. That didn't stop her. She came to Jesus. Maybe there are those that you and I have known who maybe in their own heart felt as if they were unworthy. Jesus would help them. He had time for this woman, though he was on a mission for Jairus' daughter. He stopped and had conversation with this woman. In John chapter 4, he had time for the Samaritan woman at the well. When others had perhaps forsaken her, remember she'd been married five times and the man she then was with wasn't her husband. I suspect many a Jewish man had avoided her because of the reputation she had. The Lord didn't. She had a soul that needed to be saved. There were words that the Lord in fact delivered to her and assisted her to understand and changed her life. It would appear forever. Notice that this woman of our text came to Jesus. May you and I always rush to His side, never allowing Him to be the last resort, which I think was what was on our marquee here not too long ago. Never allowing Jesus to be the last resort, but always the first line of attack. Didn't Jesus say, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. It might well be as we close that slide. The promises of the Word of God are so swift and so amazing. Cast thy burden upon the Lord, and He shall sustain thee. He shall never suffer the righteous to be moved. Do we believe that? There's no question it says it. The question is, do you and I believe it? Casting all your care upon Him, for He cares for you. Do we believe that? 1 Peter 5, 7. If we believe that, then we'll have no trouble turning to Jesus because we know He, he will help us. Maybe one final thought might be this. In Matthew 7, verses 11 and following, aren't we admonished this? Ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door shall be opened. Do we believe that? Oh, how insistent Jesus was on that occasion. Make sure that you ask and make sure you seek and make sure you knock. For isn't it true that our earthly fathers give us gifts when we ask them? If we ask our heavenly Father, is He not much more going to give us those good things of which we ask Him? That lesson never ceases to be remarkable, does it? So far as we have learned about this woman came to Jesus, she had expended the help of men and it had been no help. What about lesson four? Isn't it amazing of what also she risked? We mentioned this in passing earlier, but she risked a great deal. Here again was perhaps a well-known woman in the community known for her uncleanness. Remember, whatever she touched, if she was a Jewess, that made it unclean, and therefore she was touching the garments of Jesus. She was risking public ridicule from the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and others. Look at what you've done. You have attempted to make the master teacher unclean. She may have heaped, had scorn heaped upon her excessively. It didn't stop her. She still touched his garment, made her way to him, finding in him the last hope that she had for being made well. Let's develop that perhaps in these words. In verse number 33 of Mark chapter 5, again it reads like this, But the woman fearing and trembling... It does say she was afraid. It does go on to say she was even to the point of trembling. But yet it goes on to say, Knowing what was done in her came and fell down before him. She freely confessed and admitted what she had done. And when she did so, the Lord heaped a compliment and a commendation upon her daughter. Thy faith hath made thee whole. Doesn't that speak volumes as you and I close that one? Reminding of ourselves in her fear, what does it say about us? Do you and I, are we brought to fear when we perhaps are called upon to stand for Jesus in some public way? making Perhaps making a defense of the gospel, speaking on behalf of the Master? Paul said in Galatians 1 verse 10, If I should be the servant of men... I am not the servant of Christ. Let us then be those committed to the things of truth to the point where we, perhaps like this woman, are ready to defend the Master, to speak on His behalf, and to lift high the banner of His kingdom. To that might we add that text in 1 Peter 4.16. 
If any man suffers a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this name. There's directly a mention of suffering, and yet if you and I are called upon, and in fact in reality, suffer as a Christian, let us not be ashamed of it, but rather let us, like Peter and John, feel it a worthy thing that we were counted worthy to suffer for the cause of Jesus. Two last verses. In Philippians 2, verses 15 to 17, Paul, to that congregation, highlighted that even as you present a life of faithfulness to Christ, you shall be able to present before others the reality of that life and in the day of judgment will present the blessed light to all of those whom you had the privilege of influencing. That's a remarkable statement of our example, isn't it? As you and I have come to lesson number five, I've simply entitled it one word. The word is faith. Jesus Himself said of this woman in verse 34 of Mark chapter 5, Daughter, thy faith hath made thee whole. We understand that Jesus had the capability of looking into the heart of a person. He could see exactly what she was thinking. He could appreciate the thoughts that were hers and understand the motivation that was there. You and I aren't always able to do that, of course. We can't read the hearts of people without their telling us. Jesus could see in her, though, faith. What is faith? I suppose through the centuries, no subject has been more a subject of discussion than that. It's clear it's a vital part of the New Testament. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, borrowing the wording of Hebrews 11.1. 1. And five verses later it says, Without faith it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. It's clear then that faith is required to please God. And we've noticed the definition for it. In Hebrews chapter 11, there's a lengthy listing about those who acted in faith. May I suggest if we simply look at the realization of it, what was faith in their life, it's not hard to understand what faith is. By faith, Abel offered a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. By faith, Noah, verse 7, constructed an ark for the saving of himself and his house. By faith, Moses and Sarah and Abraham, Joshua and so many others. Faith led them to do simply what God said without any further question. May I suggest, at its most basic level, that still is what faith is. Faith is doing what God says to do simply because He says to do it. Not rationalizing, not trying to figure out any supposed possible reasons... It's exciting when God gives us the reasons, but we don't need them. Faith says, I'm going to do it God your way because you said so. That's faith. In Joshua, dramatic example. Joshua, here's the way I want you to conquer the city of Jericho. I want you to march around it once a, once a day for six days, you and the troops. And then on the seventh day, I want you to march around it seven times, and when you get done... Be silent the whole time, and only when you're done, shout and blow the trumpets. May I ask, what kind of military strategy is that? At the Naval Academy, do you suppose you'd be laughed at if you studied that strategy? 
I can't help but believe it would not be taken seriously. Joshua never questioned it. Never even had a hint of a question. He did it because God said to do it. And in Hebrews 11, that's used as an example of faith. Today, you and I follow God's plan of salvation because He says to do it that way. We worship the way we do because He says to do it that way. And you can add so many, many other elements of the Christian life. That's what faith is. Are we people of faith? We claim to be. May we always be. Let's close that slide then like this. We've looked at five things from the woman having an issue of blood. We'll close our lesson by rather briefly summarizing some of them. We have found in her some motivation perspective that can be a dramatic helpfulness even to us. Lesson number one, she had not become hopeless. Despite the 12 years of challenge and difficulty, and to this point nothing had improved. May you and I never become hopeless because we're saved by hope, Romans 8.24. But nextly, she took action. And you'll notice rather carefully how that she, in fact, perhaps in inconvenience and with regard to the scorn she may well have received, that did not deter her. May you and I never be deterred by our faithful service to the Lord despite what others may claim or even what they may say. In the next example, we learned, didn't we, the care attached to the place she did find help. She was healed after this. Can you imagine the excitement she now felt? Finally, I'm clean. I can enjoy all the blessings of Judaistic cleansing. You and I should be excited like that when we're cleansed from sin. So thankful for the blood of Christ and never willing to forget it. In the fourth place, the scorn of others made no deterrence at all. In fact, even in fear and trembling, she confessed to the Master and He proclaimed to her that her faith had made her whole. I hope each of us have been motivated by this inspired record of a lady whose name we don't even know because the Holy Spirit saw fit to preserve her record perhaps because through the endless ages she can be an encouragement and hopefulness for all of those who would serve the Master. Tonight, if there's anyone in this audience who is not a faithful member of that blessed body of Christ, your life to this point, perhaps you've rejected the Master or having become His follower, you have returned to a life of disgracefulness. You realize Jesus still died for you. And He still wants you to be His faithful servant. He wants you to come to Him and rush to His side, for only in Him is the help that you need. If we could help one or more tonight in that way, we'd be delighted to do it. It's a convenient time and an opportune time as well. This hymn of encouragement has been selected. If we could be of assistance to you, won't you come, taking action, perhaps in principle, like the woman with the issue of blood, and come at once while together we stand and sing.